everyone. This is Amanda Borchel Dan. And I'm Jessica Steinberg, your host for Times Will Tell, a weekly podcast from the Times of Israel. Hi, welcome to a special musical Times Will Tell. I'm Amanda Borchel Dan, speaking this week with composer Andy Tierstein about his new contemporary classical music album, Restless Nation. Like his music, Andy is hard to categorize, and his different occupations can be heard in his music, whether as a field hand or a clown, an actor or a university professor. The inspiration for the pieces comes from all over the globe, too, including here in Israel. Today, Andy is a professor at New York University's Tisch School of the Arts, where he can also leverage his work into coexistence arts projects, which we'll speak about later. I've played selections of Restless Nation throughout the conversation. It includes Israeli oud player Yair Dalal and a whole cast of other leading musicians. A big thanks to Novona Records for granting permission. I hope you enjoyed the music and the talk as much as I did, and I'll provide all the information for the album in the program notes. Hi, Andy. Thank you for joining me. Where am I finding you today? I am sitting in a house two hours north of New York City in uh, the foothills of the Catskills. And listeners, let me tell you, the view from his windows is just green and luscious and beautiful. So thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure, and thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. We're here to talk about your new album, Restless Nation. But first of all, can you tell our listeners a little bit of your background? Well, I was born in New York City. Uh, and um, when I was in my teens, I got involved with a wilderness uh, school. I traveled in a bus around the country, uh, hiking and camping and sleeping out, uh, learning wilderness skills. And um, the person who led that, he was a great musician. And uh, everywhere we went, we met people who played the folk music of the different parts of the country that we stayed in. And we, we'd work for people. We'd work for farmers or uh different kinds of people, Hopi Indians in Arizona. And um, and whenever we worked for them, we learned their music a little bit and be part of their, uh, learn about their cultures a little bit. So this became something I carried with me through my life. And I'm now a professor at NYU. I teach in the dance department. I teach music in the dance department. Uh, and uh, a lot of traveling and a lot of learning from other people. So Prior to joining up on the bus, were you a musician at all as a child? You know, I was. I, I took piano lessons for a couple of years. I took violin lessons, and I was in a band. Uh, so, I, yeah, I was playing some fiddle. I was playing some, some blues violin and things like that, and a basic classical violin. Tell us a little bit about how you transitioned from childhood violin lessons into fiddler. Ah, uh, yeah, well, you know, that's kind of like, you know, when a kid joins a band, uh, like usually we... You might join a rock band or something, but uh, the, I guess there were some some people in my uh, where I was growing up who were interested in folk music. Uh, so we started to play together, and and that's how it happened. And I later used those skills to join a uh, small family circus in Mexico uh, uh, and became a musical clown for a short time, where I, I was. Uh, you know, we learned this, the basic skills of walking the high wire and uh, and unicycle and juggling in my 20s and uh, did that for a while. I was sort of an actor musician in New York for a little time. Uh, but the music was always an essential part of that. 
I love how you call basic skills, you know, walking the high wire, <laughs> cycle, things of that nature. Yeah, sure. Those are the basic skills. <laughs> now, your new album also has this eclectic feel of a, a salad of different nations' musics that's obviously intentional. And tell us, first of all, why did you choose this name, Restless Nation? Yeah, well, uh, when my kids were about 12 and 7, we took them out of school, and I, I had my first sabbatical of teaching. For I had a year sabbatical, so we bought a pop-up camper on eBay and uh, and tried to um, sort of recreate the trip that I had gone on when I was a teenager. We um, we traveled around the country with the kids and homeschooled them. Uh, and when I so we went to all these all these states and and learned and met people of different political inclinations and different kinds of people all over, all over the country and this was in 2008 when we returned i wrote this i wrote this string quartet which became the sort of title piece of the uh, of this album it's taken a while to record it uh but um i i i guess it was something about the the country that i was feeling in traveling around the um both 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 us feeling restless, the family feeling kind of restless about the world and and the uh, the country in terms of its disagreements, in terms of the uh, different kinds of conflicts of city and country and people wanting to consume things and other people wanting to go back to nature, lots of different reasons. But that was sort of the feeling we settled on. And when the name came to me, I thought... Yeah, I wrestled with it for a while, but I decided, yeah, let's go for that, Restless Nation. It's funny how in 2008, you're charting a Restless Nation. I wonder what you would have called it four years ago if you had taken this trip. Imploding Nation? What what could have come out of that? <laughs> exactly. And forgive me, my dog is a little Restless Nation herself right here. Uh, she's barking and, and so forth, but she's being taken out of the room. So Okay. <laughs> Good tag. Now, there are four different sections of the album, and I'm going to talk about them with you in uh, no particular order, except for the one that I chose, essentially. So the first uh, section I'd like to speak to you about is, yes, based in uh, the Middle East, at least, the Azame songs, one through four, which feature Yair Dalal. Can you tell, tell me how this came about? So, uh, uh, and I, I think we may talk about this later if we have a chance to, but uh, at NYU, I directed a, um, a program called Translucent Borders, which was a program, a research program for faculty to look at cultures uh, at borders, to look at dance and music at borders and explore the role of dance and music at borders. And uh, so as part of this, I interviewed Yair because I had known about his music forever and, and always loved his music as a big fan. Uh, and... Um, and he, after the interview, he invited me to the desert. So you have to come to the, you have to come to the desert. We have a musical trek that we do with my students and some other folks, and you're welcome to come. So I came <laughs> on this trek across the, the desert from uh, from Ezuz near the border of Egypt uh, to Mitzpe Ramon. Um, so we went, uh, and on this trek, uh, it was a musical journey. Um, and it was led by, by Yair with his dear friends, the Walidi family, which is a Bedouin family. Uh, so uh, Adel Walidi and his brothers and family and, and parents um, took us across the desert. And it was just every place we went, wherever we stopped, we would, the, the, the instruments would come down off of the camels. 
which was like it was like a Picasso painting to look at the camel because the camel had all the instruments, the ouds and violins sticking out in every direction from the camel. And then once in a while we would stop for a, a bite to eat or you know bake some bread in the earth like they do when they burn it. And then um, <clears throat> the, the instruments would come down and we would just sit around and play this music. And of course, every night we would play long into the night uh, and I would just hear these tunes over and over, these beautiful short, uh, sweet kind of tunes, the, the hygienes, the, the camel tunes, the songs that the camel drivers sing as they travel. And uh, it was just so so gorgeous to me. Uh, and I was faced with the challenge. How do I create music for this? How do I create music that's new music that draws on this inspiration of these short, sweet tunes? Because when you hear new music, it's rarely short, sweet tunes. You know, uh, but uh, so that was the challenge of the piece, and I I really really enjoyed doing that, um, and I, I still am very inspired by when I think about that uh, that that trip. I'd love to do it again. But that's how that song Azazme Azazme songs came about because that group of Bedouins are called the Azazme Bedouins. Okay, we'll hear a, a clip of it. <laughs> ask you after this has been the soundtrack of my life for the past several days in preparation for this uh, interview wow but it sounds as though it's uh written with both a set piece and improvisation in mind meaning the the string quartet sounds like it is written and it is uh, structured and formed but the oud playing sounds like there is room for improvisation and am i hearing that right you are are you are you a musician amanda you must be a musician I'm the daughter of musicians, so that gives me some street cred. <laughs> You've got the street cred. Well, uh, yes, Yair Dalal is such a magnificent oud player. Uh, and uh, when he came uh, to New York, we, we ended up bringing up bringing all the people that we had met in these different countries, Ghana 
and you know and Israel and uh, Cuba. We brought them together in New York at the end to Lincoln Center for a concert, and so we worked together quite a bit then. And uh, and Yair, uh, while he was here, I had him record this piece with me, with the quartet, with the Mivos Quartet. Uh, and of course, I tried to give him some moments during the piece when I would play it, have a, the cellos play a long note, or have something happen with the strings that would give some space for Yair to just take it where he wanted to. And sometimes I would give an indication in the music of different directions or some figures, some ornaments, and he would take it and get from A to Z based on what I'd written. Now, any Israeli who hears it will hear some uh, even childhood uh, folk tunes inside of it, and I highly recommend it. Now, the next section we're going to speak about is definitely my favorite, and it was called Secrets of the North. It's in nine parts, and it's just beautiful. Tell me about the impetus for this uh, piece. Thank you so much uh, for those kind words. Well, this piece um, is inspired by a story by the uh, Danish writer Isak Dinesen, uh, a woman, um, who uh, wrote this story about a, a sailor boy. It's called The Sailor Boy's Tale. And it's a story of a boy who uh, it's, it's kind of like a first love story. He, he comes to shore with his with his uh, uh, he, he's shipped aboard this boat and he's working for them. And he comes aboard comes to, to shore and he meets this young girl and uh, and they have this this uh, little um, almost like a play affair. And uh, he ends up getting in trouble and he um, he kills somebody. And he, the protection he finds is with an old woman who has become who has the ability to transform herself into a hawk. And so it kind of works with the Sami, the Sami people of, of that part of the world, uh, the indigenous people of that part of the world. And it's kind of like she dipped into those stories uh, a little bit with this sort of mysterious, magical, magical quality. So I called it Secrets of the North. And there's a fuller version of this piece, apart from what you hear on the CD, that has narration and dance uh, in it as well which we got to perform here in, in, uh, in New York State at one point. So what I was fascinated with was the nickel harpa. The nickel harpa is the instrument you will hear, the solo instrument, played by the magnificent Marco Ambrosini, a fantastic uh, Italian-German uh, musician um, who plays all kinds of music on his nickel harpa. The nickel harpa is now sort of looked at as the Swedish national instrument. But it's, it's, it's almost to, similar to a viola, not exactly the same, but similar to a viola, but with uh, sympathetic strings underneath it. So it, it, it resonates with this kind of almost like theater-like sound. It's a smaller sound than a violin, but it has underneath it this re- beautiful glimmering resonance. So uh, that's the, I, what I basically did was, similar to the Azazme songs, I used those tunes that I heard as inspiration.
Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. So let's move on to Restless Nation. I was playing this and one of my 16-year-olds walked in the door and he said, whoa, what is this noise? Because it is definitely the most challenging of all the pieces in terms of uh, being able to uh, appreciate contemporary classical music. Would you agree with that? That's what I've heard, yes. That's what I've heard from some folks, from some people, <laughs> right? Uh, others others uh feel differently about it but yes i think it is more challenging it's it's very much an asymmetry a lot of it's asymmetrical meters so instead of having like one two three four you have you know one two three one two one two one two three one or even some some of it's in 11 or 10 10 eight times so it's got different meters uh but uh, my leader and model in all of this was Bela Bartok, the wonderful Hungarian composer <clears throat> who died in New York in the 40s, uh, who's, uh, who collected folk music all over his area and even to, to Northern Africa. Uh, and he uh, incorporated the, that folk music into his music. And I'll just, I'll just take one minute to describe this because I think it's really interesting. It might be interesting for your listeners that he talked about three different ways you could do this. The first was just take a folk tune and do an arrangement of it. Okay, similar to what I did with the Azazme songs. The second would be to create your own sort of imaginary folk tune. And, uh, and he did that on some beautiful music. And the third way, which is the way that composers should strive to, to, to work, he said would be to become so imbued with the folk tunes that it becomes your mother tongue. And then everything you do is affected by it, although you won't hear any folk tunes in it anymore. And that's what I did. With, I tried to do with this piece, which has the impetus and the energy and the sort of fire of those, the rhythmic, rhythmic intensity, I think, of a lot of fiddle music from Appalachia in America, from my country. Uh, but it doesn't really have any folk tunes, so to speak. Maybe it has a haunt of a couple of them but it's driven by that energy you can definitely hear the energy and and i, I hear what you're saying about the rhythm but in terms of tonality for uh, somebody like me who's not a musician as i said it 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 is very challenging because there's no as you say tune behind the the song itself how how is one supposed to appreciate that or how one how should one appreciate something like that ah well you know uh when I don't know if you've seen the recent film by Steven Spielberg, West Side Story. I happened to watch it last night. But the thing about West Side Story is it's, it's one of the most iconic uh, of the um, of musical theater pieces. And 
it's sort of it's a very very beautiful a lot of the melodies are very beautiful but at the time people were really angry that there was nothing singable in it you know <laughs> so it was it was really uh, hard for them to hear so i think that's something that people if if people listen to the piece more than once they'll start to hear a lot of melody in it i think there is melody in it and you know it it is i'm we all try to create our own signature style that's what we do as composers i think we don't want to we want to be original but you know and to find our own voice like as anybody does so i think that that piece um comes the closest to finding my 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 own voice which might not be the same as uh, might not be as accessible to some but i i hope that other people will find it um, actually quite accessible and quite even melodic because i think there are a lot of melodies in there so i'm going to listen to it again with your words in mind Now, the final section from the album that we'll discuss is very melodic, the letter from Woody section. Yes, well, I've had a long association with, with Woody Guthrie, not with him personally, but with his music and his life, because uh, I've performed as an actor in a show called Woody Says for many years. It's a show about Woody's life and about... Uh, so those of you who don't know, you probably know Woody Guthrie from the famous song, This Land is Your Land, which most ch- school children learn. Uh, but it, it, particularly in Haifa, we found a lot of, a lot of Americans who really, who really knew, ex- ex-Americans, who knew, uh, who knew Woody's work because he was a very strong protest singer and peace, the singer for peace and, and protest music. And he reflected the times and the people around him and wrote about the migrant workers and all kinds of things. Um, so it really, this, the, the show that we do is about the workers' movement in the U.S., mostly, but in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, the workers' movement, uh, as it tells Woody's life, it's really the story of, of that movement that he helped to, um, to push forward. Uh, uh, but uh, this piece, Letter from Woody, uh, at one point I was invited by the Woody Guthrie Publication uh, Foundation to come to their archives and look through their archives uh, so I found all these lyrics, and I found a series of notebooks, school notebooks, each one a letter uh, written from 
Woody to his soon-to-be wife, Marjorie. Marjorie was a dancer in the Martha Graham Company, and Woody was hired to come in and play his music on his guitar, but he could never play the same song twice the same way. So the dancers were really confused because they didn't know how many measures to wait in between the verses. And so uh, they gave they, they had Marjorie sit down and help him to work that out, like how much time to wait between each verse. And uh, they worked on this for several nights in a row, and eventually they fell in love. And But she was married at the time to somebody in Philadelphia. She became pregnant with Woody's child. So he wrote her, she went home to think about this, and he wrote her this series of notebooks, uh, you know, entreating her to come to be with him. And, uh, and in the end, she did. And, and, uh, and they gave birth to Arlo Guthrie, for instance, and, uh, and Nora Guthrie. So, uh, yeah, so that, that, that's basically, again, this is one of those pieces that is written for dancer, folk musician, and orchestra. Uh, but for this CD, we just did the orchestra version, and I played harmonica on the introduction to it.
hearing harmonica in the midst of a symphony uh, orchestra is just stunning always. Why did you choose this particular instrument? Because uh, the whole idea of making an orchestra piece from a Woody Guthrie song <laughs> it's kind of like you're putting you're putting something uh, two different parts of society together. I mean, really, the orchestra is something that came from the the, the sort of West West European aristocracy in a certain sense. I mean, uh, and uh, and Woody Guthrie's music is music of the people of the of the hobo of the tramp of the, you know the one who's alone on the road and the train you know that kind of thing so the harmonica just personifies for me the um the hobo aspect of music it's 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 something you'd carry it in your pocket anywhere you go you take it out it's your friend you know you can play pretty music you can play blues music on it um so i felt like i had to have something right off the bat to counter the sort of colossal energy of an orchestra and that was the harmonica I'd like to discuss some of your other projects. You touched on it earlier, the Translucent Borders Project. Tell me about the impetus about this project, essentially. Yes. Well, Translucent Borders. Uh, so let me tell you, we at NYU, where I teach, we have, I don't know how many, maybe 25 or 23 different satellite schools around the world. So we have, a, we have an NYU Abu Dhabi, for instance and NYU Shanghai, and NYU in Paris. So uh, we have all these different places. So at one point, they came around to all the different departments and asked for ideas. What? How can we engage these different uh, NYUs? So I made this proposal. I, I said, you know, if you want to go to a place that has a lot of different cultures in one place and use that as a model, go to NYU Tel Aviv. Because in NYU Tel Aviv, we have a beautiful NYU Tel Aviv, and uh, there are cultures. People think of it as uh, just Jewish and Arab or something like that in their minds. But there's so many different kinds of people there. There's so many different communities. There's so many different cultures that came together in that area. So why not use that and look at the music and dance there and see how... Because look what's happening with dance in Israel now. It's amazing. And, uh, and and all the different music, the Mizrahi music and the Ashkenazi music, all these different kinds of music and the Arab influences. And, uh, and look at that and then use that as a model for all the different places around the world. And my Ghana and my Abu Dhabi and how can... You know, how can different cultures come together and, and work? So they said, this is great. Here's a bunch of money. Take this money and go and make this work. So we did, we did NYU Tel Aviv and uh, we, NYU Ghana and we went to Cuba and, uh, and we also went into the West Bank. And uh, to the extent we were able to, we brought a lot of people together at the Suzanne Dalal Center and and worked with dancers and musicians. So really it started in Israel, this whole project, Translucent Borders. Uh, and the idea is to look at what happens when you have two people with really different cultures who are juxtaposed either at a border physically or economically or just uh, culturally, if they're at these borders. Uh, and uh, from 2015 to 2019, we did these projects again and again. And in the end, we brought people from all these different places together in New York and did some performances and a residency at the Jacobs Pillow 
uh, dance residency and also at Lincoln Center. One of the things I noted on your website, uh, our time is uh, drawing to a close, is that you're also a filmmaker. And I had the privilege of watching Cluck Old Hen, which includes dance and music and more than anything, humor. My old hen, she's a good old hen. She lays eggs for the real old hen. Sometimes one, sometimes Tell me a little bit about this project before we sing. Uh, <laughs> Great. Well, you know, my son was learning, my son Max was learning uh, Appalachian dance styles. Uh, and uh, so I made this film, which uh, it, it is a little bit funny, um, just based on, uh, on a tune, an old southern tune called Cluck Old Han. And it's the banjo that is the, the heart of that, the banjo, ever fretless banjo, uh, that, that really kind of clucks when it plays it really plays a, a very down home kind of style and um so i played in that in that in that film uh, accordion banjo juice harp fiddle uh i think that was what i played and uh and i just used all my family members in the film to for different parts uh and we had a good time and it was just a lark just just a fun kind of thing I'll definitely put a link in the program notes. It's it's just a pleasure to watch in bite size, so you can <laughs> eat it like a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Old hen, she's a good old hen. She lays eggs for the red Sometimes nine, sometimes ten. Andy, thank you so much for all your time. I really appreciate it and enjoyed our talk. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you very much for listening carefully to Restless Nation. I really appreciate it. Thank you. so much for listening to Times Will Tell from the Times of Israel and thanks to our producer Gilad Brownstein. Please subscribe wherever you find your podcast and check out our daily briefing news show every Sunday through Thursday. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next week. Shalom. Shalom.